Mr. Cheney, are you ready to take the oath? I am. Please raise your right hand and repeat after me. I, James Danforth Quayle. I, Michael Richard Pence. I, Spiro Theodore Agnew. I, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., do solemnly swear. Welcome to the first episode of Running Mates. I'm your host, Lars Emerson, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mike Levito. Hey. This is our podcast, where we look at every modern presidential election through the scope of the vice presidential picks and evaluate if they were good picks, what could have been a better one, and what might have been. So define modern era for us. What does that mean? That's a very handsome question, Mike. <laughs> um, modern, we're going to consider modern 1968. Why? Well... As we addressed in our intro episode, 1968 is kind of the turning point for uh, presidential um, primaries and elections kind of in the last hundred years. It's, you have a very, uh, in, it's like the presidential convention to end all conventions is the Democratic convention that year. Um, things go crazy. We're going to talk about that in a bit. Uh, but it's also um, the convention that sort of, you start to see a shift away from uh, the party deciding who the nominee is and more to like the people in an mm-hmm. actual like primary process. Um, it's also convenient because you have two non-incumbents on the ticket. Um, it's a fresh, easy election to start with. And that's why. Sound reasoning. So it's 1968, Mike. The country is in crisis. <laughs> <laughs> Things aren't so good in the hood as it turns out. Why? Martin Luther King Jr. has been assassinated. Race riots have broken out across America. Lyndon B. Johnson's Vietnam War rages on and becomes increasingly unpopular. Civil rights remains a contentious issue. Um, and though, you know, you got President Johnson, he signed the Civil Rights Act. Uh, you also have Alabama Governor uh, George Wallace, self-described good guy. Um, <laughs> he's now decided to run for president as an American independent. He's campaigning uh, for racial segregation. We're not really going to talk that much about him, though he'll come up, but we are going to talk... Um, I'm going to cover the Democratic side. Mike's going to cover the Republican side very briefly. I'm doing Nixon hands. Oh, oh. oh <laughs> um, you got to talk like that, too. Yeah. Um, all right. On the Democratic side, bullet points. Um, incumbent President Lyndon B. Johnson is actually eligible to run again, and he starts to run, but you've got Eugene McCarthy of Minnesota and then uh, Robert Kennedy um, both running... They're both very strong. Lyndon B. Johnson, kind of unprecedented. He just says, oh, I'm going to drop out. Yeah. <laughs> um, but this leads his vice president, Hubert Humphrey, to then into the race. Robert Kennedy, though he is kind of behind Humphrey at the time, uh, is then assassinated in June. You know, you've got the conventions that summer. Things are not good. Things yeah. are going very, very poorly for the Democrats. Um, and they only get better. <laughs> right, right. Then you've got the 1968 Democratic National Convention, uh, which is in Chicago, and it's a nightmare. There's massive anti-war protests outside. There's, like, extreme police brutality. You get Dan Rather himself being, like, beat up outside the convention. As we talked about uh, earlier, this is kind of the convention that changes everything. So it spawns what's called the McGovern-Fraser Commission, which encourages the Democratic Party to use uh, more affirmative action. Um, It gets more states to hold primaries. In this election, only 14 states held primaries, as opposed to now when you get all 50-plus all the other territories, mm-hmm. you know, it requires open delegate selections um, so that it's not just elites in these small states who are choosing, um, and proportionality. Um, so this is uh, kind of where we get to where we are today is because of what happened in this uh, convention. 
Um, the criticism of this is that it appears to benefit candidates like George McGovern, <laughs> uh, <laughs> who would get third place and then would win, of course, the nomination in the next election. Anyway, VP Hubert Humphrey, he does actually get handily selected as the nominee during the convention. He promises to support civil rights, war on poverty, um, kind of uh, going along in Johnson's footsteps. Um, but he also sort of like refuses to oppose the war. Um, so he's sort of positioning himself as like Johnson Jr. Democrats, Mike. All right, the Republicans, Republicans, not quite as exciting. Um, the front runner, of course, is former Vice President Richard Nixon. Um, eight years after his narrow loss to John F. Kennedy in the presidential election of 1960 and a loss in the California gubernatorial election in 1962, uh, Tricky Dick is at it again. He vowed that he would not have Nixon to kick around anymore, but he's coming back for more. Um, but he's got the party machine to back him up again this time. Um, he's been working for the last few years to make Republican gains in Congress and at the state level. His main challengers come at him sort of from other sides of the party wing, right? You have uh, Michigan Governor George Romney, uh, who's the father of Mitt Romney, of course. Um, he would quickly drop out, though. But you also have New York Governor Nelson Rockefeller, the leader of the liberal wing of the, Rep of the Republicans, who are pretty opposed to Nixon. Um, he represents, like I said, the more liberal anti-war wing. And then you have Ronald Reagan, of course, who's the current governor of California, and freshly elected, actually. The actor Ronald yes, Reagan? Yes, the actor Ronald Reagan. Wow. Um, and he's, of course, represents the conservative wing of the party. And you're actually getting up a plurality of the votes uh, in the primaries because, once again, there are only 13 uh, primaries held Republicans this year, and he wins California, of course, the most populous state, so uh, he wins that. Um, Nixon remained the front runner throughout, though. Um, he wins 10 of those 13 primaries, and uh, Rockefeller wins one, Reagan wins one, and Jim Rhodes, governor of Ohio, wins the Ohio primary. They have a thing for their governors, apparently. Well, um, like, favored son candidates were still, like, a thing. Exactly, so yeah. So it's like yeah. you had, like, t technically, like, 14 people running, mm -hmm. one from each state or whatever. Yeah. Um, but Reagan and Rockefeller actually kind of come together, and they tried to sort of foster a stop Nixon movement at the convention. Um, you know, you yeah, it, it didn't really work out, and maybe something the Republicans should have tried in 2016, but we won't go I mean, there. Didn't that happen? Like, there was sort of that. Yeah, yeah but they, they couldn't agree, I guess, yeah. is the thing. Um, Cruz, Ted Cruz really wanted people to believe it should be him. Anyway, uh, we're getting off track. But Nixon, he won the nomination on the first ballot. No riots, no fighting. Uh, way calmer than the Democratic primary. For sure. Cool. Yeah, it sounds a lot better. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, so that's setting the stage. Let's talk about their who they actually chose as their running mates. So Humphrey and his, his little Democrats, <laughs> they chose Edmund Muskie. Uh, he's a senator from Maine for, for about nine years at the time. He was a former governor of Maine. Um, Maine, by the way, has four electoral votes. <laughs> um, he was in the House for seven years before that, so he's kind of... You know, he's a Washington insider, sort of, but he's also kind of an outsider. He's like a big environmentalist. Uh, he supports civil rights. He's got this nickname, Mr. Clean, but not like the sexy Mr. Clean that we have now. <laughs> he did not care for um, uh, Herbert Hoover's FBI. Um, J. Sorry, J. Edgar Hoover's FBI. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, he took like a fact-finding mission to Vietnam to inform his own views on the war, and he became anti-war. So he's kind of... Like, Humphrey may be, like, to Johnson, but Muskie's kind of, like, appealing to everything that Johnson is not. Mm -hmm. Fun fact about the uh, convention, though. Member of the Georgia House and later founding member of the Southern Poverty Law Center, then American University professor Julian Bond, he received 48.5 votes on the final ballot. But he was too young. Other fun fact I found is that legendary Alabama football coach Bear Bryant received one and a half votes for president during the Democratic National Convention, which is one more vote than the actual governor of Alabama, George Wallace, and an ostensible Democrat, George Wallace, received. Mm. 
Um, so very chaotic. And the guy who was not even actually wanting to be president was getting votes. Yeah. All right. Uh, so moving on to the Republican side, uh, Nixon and Republicans, they choose Spiro Agnew. He's uh, just a newly elected governor of Maryland. He was elected in 1966, takes office in January of 67. They believe that he, he will reconcile Nixon's sort of like West centrist vibe with more moderate Republicans in the Northeast and also some of the alienated Southern Democrats because Maryland's you know, kind of on the border of those two regions. Um, he was a relatively unknown figure nationally, but he, was thought he would also appeal to African-Americans because he tried to court the African-American votes when he was running uh, in Maryland because, you know, the big African-American population, especially following the 68 Baltimore riots. This didn't really work out because he ended up kind of summing all these black leaders together and he ended up upset when, with them when they didn't really accept his plans and policies to help them and kind of blame them for being complicit in the violence. Are, are you saying African-Americans did not vote for Nixon? Like, Believe it or not, <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, Agnew's, Agnew's weird. I, I guess we're kind of talking about it. He's like so green. Yeah. He's been governor for, for what, like basically two years before he's sworn in as vice president. Yeah. Um, there was actually no vice presidential debate in 1968, nor was there a presidential debate. Nixon probably um, wised up after he didn't do so well in his last presidential debate against John F. Kennedy. Um, the first vice presidential debate ever would be eight years later in 1976. Muskie, he was like kind of talented as a campaigner. He was very scandal-free, Mr. Clean, like I said. Because of Agnew's apparent, it was quoted that like because of Agnew's apparent weakness as a candidate relative to Muskie, Humphrey um, was heard to remark that voters' uncertainties about whom to choose between the two major presidential candidates should be resolved by their attitudes towards the vice president. I don't know about that, <laughs> but Humphrey certainly felt that way. Yeah, <laughs> Humphrey would lose the election. Nixon's Southern strategy kind of worked, um, but George Wallace uh, did win five Southern states. And this is like the last time a third party candidate has won like an entire state. Humphrey, kind of like we alluded to, he wasn't able to distance himself from the unpopular policies of Lyndon Johnson, like in the war and in civil rights. So Nixon kind of like cut him, triangulated there, being more, playing more into the anti civil rights vibe. A lot of dog whistling. Yeah. But he's kind of in an awkward place. He's got an unpopular president, he's the vice president. Uh, what are you going to do, Humphrey? Yeah, yeah. Um, Humphrey won only 13 states, um, mostly in the Northeast, but he did win Texas, um, Minnesota, and Washington out in the West. Um, Nixon kind of swept everything in the middle and in the West. This was the first election after the Voting Rights Act of 1965, but yeah, like we said, Nixon's law and order narrative, like coming out of all the race riots, the assassinations, and then the conflict with the DNC. It, it worked. He got both pro-war and anti-war voters, and I don't know if he, like, abused the racial tensions in the country, but he definitely, like, it, it helped him. He leveraged it. Yeah, them. yeah. Uh, definitely fair to say. Uh, so Agnew, of course, would become vice president. He would become the first vice president to have an office in the West Wing, also the first Greek-American vice president. Potentious heated up between him and Nixon, who increasingly isolated Agnew but he, because Agnew was fairly outspoken. Um, he actually considered dropping Agnew for his re-election bid in 1972, but he stuck with him. They did, of course, win a re-election in 72 to, uh, by a wide, wide, wide margin. But Agnew would end up resigning the vice presidency in 1973 due to corruption investigation related to bribery as his time as in the Baltimore County government and extending into his vice presidency. He was forced to cover his legal bills, and so he borrowed some money from his friend and uh, noted Democratic donor at the time, actually, Frank Sinatra, 
and went off into shame and really didn't play a role in public life after that. Nixon probably should have vetted Agnew a little bit. Yes. Um, (laughs) The Sarah Palin of his day in an odd way. Kind of, yeah. As for Muskie, um, he lost, but he continued advocating against the war for his environmental causes. Um, He then ran for president himself um, following the election. Um, He was considered the front runner, but George McGovern's unlikely rise and the Democratic Party's new rules created by George McGovern kind of like cut him off. Sort of later on, he was in like a scandal called the Canuck Letter, um, which was like a forged letter that was later revealed to be the work of like Nixon's plumbers. It's something like he hated Canadians basically, yeah. right? Which is a problem if you're in Maine. Right. Um, he did become Secretary of State under President Carter years later. What a great, what a great opportunity. He served only for a year. Unfortunate timing given that that was the year of the Iron Hospital crisis. <laughs> yeah. Um, so n- neither of them are quite the winners no, no. in life later yeah. on. Great. You now know more than you could ever want to know about Edmund Muskie. Um, uh, what a name, though. Right? Um, so this is the meat of potatoes. So Mike was asked to come to the table with five alternative picks. For each candidate. For each candidate. Um, I also have to have five picks. We're going to guess that some of those are the same. But that's okay. We're going to unpack whether these are good picks, bad picks. But these are our, essentially our proposals for how this could have been, like, better. Mm-hmm. I'll start. All right. All right, let's start with the Democratic ticket. Sure. So my number five pick um, is Pat Brown. Mm. He's uh, former governor of California at the time. Um, despite being Nixon's home state, it was it was only decided by around a 3% margin. If Humphrey would have won California, it would have deprived Nixon of 270 electoral votes because you've got Wallace with the five states in the South. This is the only state that can change the outcome of the election if state percentage is what matters. That means no candidate would have gotten a majority. The House at this time would have chosen a Democrat, as Democrats held a majority of seats in a majority of states. He did, <laughs> to his discredit, he did lose to Reagan as governor um, in 1966, two years before. But he had defeated Nixon himself in 1962. <laughs> uh, like, as a state-level official, I just feel like he, he was kind of untainted by the federal stains of, like, the Johnson administration. Mm-hmm. And Humphrey probably should not have chosen, like, a senator. I feel like he yeah. needed someone... On literally the opposite side of the country, who has no relation to the war or voting for anything, mm. I, I, I don't know. But he did lose California by a lot to Reagan. Yeah, it's it's it's. I I like the idea of sort of trying to counter Nixon with, because it seems like California is really like Nixon that much, right? Yeah. I mean, if you just look at like how he lost uh, the gubernatorial election to Brown, and he didn't really win it by that much. He, well, he lost the primary, and then he didn't really win it by that much in the general. Um, so I think it's not a bad pick. And the one, the one, I think the one caveat though, is that like Reagan was really elected with the idea that like he was going to bring order to these unruly student protesters throughout the state and especially in like Berkeley. And I think that, you know, you, you could possibly see Pat Brown sort of like this permissive Democrat who's kind of letting, letting the hippies run wild and, and all of that. But it, like, it, not not a terror. I think geographically sort of makes sense. It makes more sense than Edmund Muskie. Um, I think we kind of both agree that like choosing someone from a really small state yeah. um, doesn't make a lot of sense unless you're doing like an Obama-Biden thing. Um, it, so, yeah. It, it's sort of, like it'd be kind of a go big or go home. Yeah. It's like, yeah. this is the only state that actually would have changed, would have mm-hmm. mattered. Um, like, I don't think he loses yeah. anything from not putting Muskie on the ticket. Yeah, exactly. I don't really. Th- yeah, I don't think Muskie was a big value add, uh, which you know maybe and maybe at that, 
there's an argument to be made that at that point, if you're the Democrats and like you just watched like literal fires start at, yeah. <laughs> at your convention, you want the most boring, sort of like least controversial person right. available. But yeah, yeah, it, like it's not a. He he was sort of. The, I'm just going to keep naming other running mates, like the Tim Kaine pick, the guy who's not going to offend anybody. Yeah, yeah. Also from a swing state. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, um, all right, so bounce over to mine then. Sure. Yeah. So I did. I don't know if I have Carl Sanders. Um, which I always want to say Colonel Sanders. Not to be confused with Colonel Sanders. <laughs> um, who, at, uh, in ni- by 1968, was the former governor of Georgia. Pretty young guy, born in 25. So he- Super hot. Dude's, like, very... <laughs> he, like, you should he, look him up. He does look like a TV presenter from, like, the 60s. He, he does. Um, he was, like, pretty liberal for a Georgia politician. He worked a lot with uh, Johnson and Kennedy on desegregating the state. He, he invested a lot in education and was a... Uh, you know, a, a kind of an early environmentalist and all of that. The one red flag I have, and I'll get out in front of this, is that he was, he, he did play the party game at the state level, so he did actually endorse Lester Maddox, who was a segregationist, to succeed him. So that that's definitely like a, uh, he, the quote he actually uses is, a man should be loyal to his country, his family, to his God, and to his political party, and don't you ever forget it. So he, he actually uh, invoked Nixon uh, during his endorsement speech for Maddox, where he said the the guy running for, uh, the Republican running for the governorship of Georgia, he, he said he likens him to the arrogance of Richard Nixon, the chameleon ability of Ronald Reagan to switch rather than fight, and the cow's concern for human needs as a throwback to McKinley, Harding, and Coolidge. Really going back there with all those sort of like laissez-faire Republicans, I guess. So a little bit of a firebrand, kind of. He, he strikes me as a guy who would be good on the campaign trail, even though I've literally never seen him speak. But you know, you I want to go look at him. Though. Exactly yeah. right. Like, and I, and I think regionally, you know, he's got kind of the profile of like a rising star, and regionally it helps, right? You know, maybe you he he was able to win the South already. Maybe he siphons off some Wallace voters. Yeah. So I also had him as my number four pick. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think this helps. It's a Southern pick. It's a governor. He's untainted by the federal mess. Another governor, and it's like maybe by choosing a Southerner, you take the wind out of Wallace, and therefore kind of take the wind a wind out of Nixon. And like maybe the Democrats are a little more racist. Mm-hmm. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, not saying it's good. I'm just right. Maybe he would have gotten. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. Because mm-hmm. like maybe with if Georgia goes, so does Alabama and Mississippi, and then mm-hmm. maybe you actually get enough of a coalition to uh, make yeah. something work. And it's 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 also like maybe a little bit of an awkward branch to yeah the Southern conservative base. Right. Um, instead of nominating two Northern liberals, you, you, you throw in a, a a moderate who's still pretty liberal actually. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah. the thing is, he worked, like, explicitly on desegregation. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, Wallace kind of had that. That was kind of his only thing. Yeah. All right, back back to you, Mike. All right, so my number four, I have Richard J. Hughes, uh, who, in 1978, would be the governor of New Jersey. New Jersey, not the Democratic stronghold that it was back in the day. In fact, he when he won his gubernatorial election, it was actually considered an upset. He defeated James P. Mitchell who was Eisenhower's Secretary of Labor by only 35,000 votes. Of course, unheard of today in, like, modern New Jersey. He, uh, his big thing was taxation. They, apparently, New Jersey did not have an income tax or a sales tax at the time, so he implemented that. He was also had a lot of backing from organized labor, too. Um, so he has kind of, like, the blue-collar support uh, to go of sort of, you know, the, the more sort of, like, I guess you would say, the, the, the sort of stereotypical liberal support of, like, you know, uh, sort of educated suburbanites. He also kind of, like, deftly maneuvered in his uh, re-election 
Yeah, during his campaign for re-election, he, de- he definitely sort of maneuvered during this controversy where Eugene Genovese, who was an instructor at Rutgers, which is the State College of New Jersey, he publicly, th- this guy said basically he was like, he, he was rooting for the North Vietnamese to win the Vietnam War. And so the Republicans tried to pin that on Hughes because, you know, he had kind of control of the university and wanted want this guy fired. But Hughes was like, you know, he, he was really wrong, but academic freedom is super important. So, you know, it's not quite, you know, protesting at Berkeley, but it, it's kind of a decent nod to sort of like this burgeoning young liberal base that, you know, we've got a guy who, who he's, he's got connections to the old guard, but he's not um, too afraid to, to let people speak their mind. He's, he's not going to crack down on them like, like Nixon or Reagan. I actually think this is a great pick. Yeah. I, I don't have him. New Jersey like went only by like 2% for Nixon. Yeah. And it was uh, 17 votes. So many electoral votes. For yeah. 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 Like the, the only thing I, I could say is like, he was like pretty close to Johnson. Mm-hmm. But like, uh, apparently Humphrey like had him on the short list because like he was one yeah. of the finalists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. good, good pick. Yeah. <laughs> All right, my number three. <laughs> I, I go back and forth on if this is actually a good idea. I think probably not. Um, so I went with Sergeant Shriver. <laughs> he was the director of the Office of Economic Opportunity, ambassador to France. You know, the guy behind the Peace Corps. He's definitely a Johnson administration pick, but he's kind of more on the civil side. So maybe he was less tainted by the war. <laughs> he's also related to the Kennedys, so maybe you get some sympathy vote there. He's also also handsome, um, very handsome. But like you know, you, you have a Kennedy considering the um, assassination. Maybe that plays well. He would end up being the running mate for McGovern in the next election, mm-hmm. probably for most of these same reasons, if not like outright. Like he's a little bit of a Johnson insider. Yeah, and he's he would definitely be like an elitist Washington insider pick. Yeah, yeah. Um, which Humphrey probably did not need, mm. but, like, McGovern picked him. Like, clearly yeah. there's something there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think he's just very, like, uh, charismatic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Positive. He's like a, yes. he's a positive view of foreign policy, mm. where, like, Humphrey and Johnson clearly do not. Yeah. We'll get to this with my number one pick, but I've, like, I really love the idea of, like, playing the Kennedy angle in this election because, you know, Obviously, the JFK thing sort of, like, shocked the nation, obviously. Um, why wouldn't it? And then you have RFK dying uh, during the campaign. And I, I, I like I like playing the sympathies, the idea that, like, well, let's make this let's make this the Kennedy party. Let's make sure they didn't die in vain. And I think that appeals to younger voters, too. Um, I actually watched, because I was very bored the other day, I watched the episode of William F. Buckley's old TV show, Firing Line, where he actually, like, talks to the hippies. He has, oh, wow. like, a hippie on. He has a, a guy who studied hippies on, and he has Jack Kerouac on. And they talk about it. And this the sociologist who is studying them, his whole thesis is that, like, the deaths of the Kennedys is kind of what stoked the hippie movement because they thought they were, like, these beacons of purity and light. And once they died, they thought, you know, they had, they had to find alternative ways to sort of, like, bring purity in the world. I don't know how much I buy that because the Kennedys were, like, very, well, on the surface at least, were, like, very clean-cut. And, like, not as liberal, except for, like, Teddy, obviously. You know, not, not like, the most liberal, but, like, it's, I don't know. It's an interesting thesis. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I don't think it works. I think mm-hmm. maybe it works better than Muskie, but I don't think it works. Yeah. It's, it's a foreign policy pick for Humphrey, who I yeah. feel like is more of a domestic policy guy. Yeah. I, I just think, like, this is, he's, like, Sergeant Shriver is just, like, overtly, like, positive. Mm-hmm. Everyone else, like, in this era just seems, like, overtly negative. That's true, yeah, yeah. I he's, think that's yeah, where I was going yeah. with it. A little, um, yeah, yeah. Peace Corps, France, yeah. He's, he's smiling. He's a, he's a, he <laughs> smiles in all his photos. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. 
Speaking of positive, I guess, um, certainly liberal, um, I chose Gaylord Nelson, um, who uh, served as governor of Wisconsin from 59 to 63, and then would serve many terms as a senator from Wisconsin. Very, very liberal. Uh, he was actually the founder of Earth Day, and of course a big-time environmental activist. He was also an early proponent of the pill, of, of birth control, and held congressional hearings on it, and w- w- which, which sort of like determined a lot of the ways that it was legislated and like sort of, you know, from directly from Wikipedia, as rules of the hearing, side effect disclosure and patient inserts was required for the pill, as it would for any other pharmaceutical drug. Uh, big small business advocate. He was one of, I mean, this wouldn't matter until years later, but he was one of three senators to oppose the nomination of Gerald Ford for vice president. So yeah, I, I picked him because uh, Nixon would win Wisconsin, um, and it's not a, uh, it's got 12 electoral votes, so that's not nothing. Could help Humphrey out there, um, and just like double down on the liberal thing. Just just become that party, energize that base, just hope it works out for you. That that That's what I'm going with. Just, just, just see what happens. <laughs> I, I guess that's my question. It's just like, what's the strategy here? Is like, maybe you win Wisconsin. You've already got Minnesota and Maine. Like, I feel like those are the like yeah. hippy dippy socialist mm. states at the time. Eh, Cal- I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe pe- appeals to like California. I, 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 I which is like Reagan. Mel- I, I guess so. Yeah. Reagan's like the opposite of this dude. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe not when he was governor. That's true. Reagan mm. uh, changed. <laughs> I, I, I don't know, like, I, uh, <laughs> like he's fine. He, he's kind of an Edmund Muskie pick, just a I, bigger state. Yeah, yeah, that that's fair. All right. Then maybe a bigger state's all you need. Maybe, know. maybe, I don't know. All right, my number two pick is uh, James William Fulbright, mm-hmm. finally a senator, senator from Arkansas. He's very anti-war, very pro-education, he's very internationalist. Um, however, <laughs> he's also very socially conservative. Uh, he's got some some pretty controversial pro-segregation moments. Maybe he, he's able to meld this like internationalist Johnson Democrat thing with like the social conservatism of like Nixon and like Reagan that came out in the primary. I, Ful, Fulbright, you know, education, Fulbright scholar. That's this guy. I. I don't know. I, like, I don't know why I put him as number two. I just kind of have a feeling that like uh, the rest of these picks aren't gonna actually like um, cut off Nixon. Mm-hmm. It's like this guy kind of cuts Nixon off. It might even cut off Wallace. Right. It's like he's actually kind of pro segregation at times. Humphrey is clearly not. And like Humphrey, like kind of knows like oh I'm gonna win or like I'm never gonna be pro segregation. But like if I just put someone on the ticket with it's kind of like you like take your poison. Like this guy's yeah. not gonna, yeah. You know, whatever. I'll do, I'll bite the bullet. Yeah. And I just I kind of think that works better than Muskie. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Like, obvi- I feel like if we're working on like a formula, it kind of works, right? Yeah. If if this was a mathematical equation, then I think it works. But it did make me realize how little I actually know about public perception of civil rights in 1968. Like. Is, like is 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 this a deal breaker, right? Like, is having someone who who helped write the Southern Manifesto of Strom Thurmond is that a deal breaker for a lot of voters? You, you know, now that the Civil Rights Act is passed, the Voting Rights Act is passed, and you know the 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 arc of history has started to bend. You know, is, is that can can people vote for someone with Fulbright's views? Obviously, they did it to a much more extreme degree with Wallace in, in certain select seven states, but you know, does 
does Fulbright lose Humphrey, you know, even Minnesota or Michigan or New York or Washington? Are, are, are they really going to go, like, vote for, like, I don't see... But maybe like, they stay home. Like, maybe true. just, like, That's depress true. his turnout. You kind of have, like, a Hillary, yeah, Hillary yeah. problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's... But I feel like the Democratic Party was different at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, maybe you could have... I mean, but you just, like, that. Like, maybe you can get away with, like, a little more. Like, I'm not saying this is a good... I'm glad he did not choose this guy. Like, I'm gra- glad the Democratic Party kind of stuck to its guns on, like, not leaning into segregation after all that Johnson did. I just... If I were, like, an electoral strategist and, like, a bad person, I'd be like, hey, <laughs> put full right on Lee Atwater. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Nope. That, that, I mean, that, 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 that... It makes logical sense. Yeah. My number two, I went with Joseph S. Clark Jr., Former mayor of Philadelphia, at this time would be current senator from Pennsylvania. Yeah, anti-war, pro-gun, kind of like a senior statesman. He's been around for a while. He was born in 1901, so he's kind of an old guy. Um, He's got like a big anti-corruption MO, and he's from a closed state. Pennsylvania um, would go to Humphrey, but only by about 8%. So, yeah, I just think, you know, he's kind of like a guy... With a lot of experience, like I said, an elder statesman, he, he's held a few offices. I, I think he's he's four percent, four percent, three point five percent. I misread my notes. Uh, huh. Anyway, but yes, uh huh. Yeah, I don't know. I, it's it's I, maybe like maybe it's a little too safe. But the idea of having like you know this chaos in that frag party and uh, you know this, this experienced guy being like, I'll come to write the ship and I and I'll set things straight in Washington. I, I I did it in Pennsylvania. And he also had like fairly like decent relations with the African American community of Pennsylvania as well. So, yeah, Joey Clark. Okay. <laughs> All right, I'm I'm adding some con- controversy. I actually think this is a bad pick, like an outright bad pick. And here's why, Mike. <laughs> okay. He lost re-election in Pennsylvania in that same year that Humphrey won the state of Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. He lost re-election by six points in a state that Humphrey carried by three point five. Pennsylvania did not like him. <laughs> he like dropped the ball. Like that's like people in Pennsylvania showed up to vote for Humphrey and vote against this dude. <laughs> like I don't know. Like I don't see how this is gonna help Humphrey. That's that, a fair point. That's my. But in 1968, I wouldn't have known that information. That's, now, would that's I? true. I'm, um, in, hind- in hindsight, yeah, yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's my own research on that guy. That's fair. <laughs> I because I had thought about him too. I was yeah. like, Pennsylvania is huge. You get like mm-hmm. what 29 electoral votes there. This guy seems perfect, and then I like looked at that. Yeah, so that's why I didn't choose. I I, w- I was just looking for someone from Pennsylvania, and I almost picked the mayor of Philadelphia like at the time of the election. I was like, oh, this makes total sense. But then I was like, no, why not just go with the, the senator? All right, my number one pick kind of has a similar problem. <laughs> I went with Frank Losh, who's the senator from Ohio and former governor of Ohio. He's like moderate, cosmopolitan, midwestern. Ohio is a big. Narrow state goes for Nixon by about two percent. The problem to beat you to the punch here is he lost re-election in 1968 as well, but I don't really know that it's related. And I think this is a more like graceful and effective way to go out. Like I think having someone who became a governor, then was in the federal government from a huge state and like a midwestern state, like Nixon sweeps Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, and Wisconsin. And, like, maybe the Midwest wasn't as much of a thing as people think about it is now. Mm. It just seems right. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. Something about him spoke to me. He, like, kind of looks crazy. <laughs> like, I'm not sure I love him as my number one pick. But he's... 
I'm, I'm sticking. He just he looks kind of like David Lynch. Like he's got David he Lynch does. hair, and he's got like. You know what? I don't like this pick. I'm changing my mind. I'm bumping him down. I think. <laughs> okay. I think Fulbright's my number one, and this guy's my number two. Okay. He would have just been very old. Is <laughs> kind yeah. of my thing. He would have yeah. been 73 during the election, which I, I mean is kind of become the norm nowadays. But I, I feel like back then was like kind of old. But no, I, I see your logic. You know, Ohio was a close state. And, you know, he he's, he was the first Catholic governor of Ohio, so maybe that means something to people in, you know, a, a country that had only, like, the first Catholic president eight years prior. That's true. Yeah, and, you know, like, kind of how I felt about Clark a little bit. Elder statesman, been there before, no nonsense. Um, actually, apparently Eisenhower considered him as his running mate in 52. He, yeah. Wow. Because he was, like, that bipartisan. He called himself a Democrat with small d. Right. Um, and maybe that, you know, you need you need kind of, like, a... A, uh, a unifier like that to, uh, to to bring the country and the party together. Yeah, I, I think he's got a very moderate vibe, though not like... Um, I think what I, where I was trying to go with this, I just didn't put it well. It was like, he's got a moderate vibe, but he doesn't have a segregationist vibe. Right, yeah. And that's... Yeah. It's like, Humphrey's clearly not... I don't know that I'd call him a moderate. He's just very establishment. Mm-hmm. This guy's very just like, middle of the country, moderate, but not like a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, he's kind of a safe pick. Mm-hmm. All right, so my number one is good old John Connolly, governor of Texas, and of course the man who was riding next to Kennedy while he was assassinated and who also got shot in that whole episode. Um, He was Lyndon B. Johnson's protege, which maybe hurts him in the eyes of some folks, but uh, I feel like he bounces the ticket ideologically. Uh, He shores up a state that only went for Humphrey by like just over a point, and maybe even pulls some conservative voters away from Nixon. Um, I even consider Connolly as a Nixon running mate because eventually he would become a Republican, I believe. And he's in Nixon's cabinet. And he, and he would, yeah, he, yes. <laughs> he founded Dems for Nixon. Yeah. It was like yeah. his organization. Exactly, yeah, yeah. You know, definitely. And apparently he and Humphrey did not get along. Yeah. But, like, even though he, he like, publicly, like, put up a good face about it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, just, I just really like the idea of, you can say, you know, I was next to Kennedy in his final moments. I, uh... You really like that Kennedy angle. I do! Yeah. I love it! It's just, I feel like it's powerful. Yeah. You know, I was next to Kennedy in his final moments. Um, I've, I've literally been shot doing my job. And I'll, 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 keep, I'll keep this liberal guy from Minnesota in check. Um, you'll have a steady hand at the wheel. I don't know. that, And, yeah, just, just ideological and geographic balance. Yes. And a big name. I agree with those... Um, he's kind of like Frank Wash in that he's he is very moderate, mm-hmm. but he's not segregationist. He's not, or he's mm-hmm. anti-segregation. I like. I don't think he joins the ticket. Like, I think he would say no. And like the fact that he then joins Nixon's cabinet and starts Dems for Nixon four <laughs> years later. Like, I kind of feel like maybe he wasn't going to say yes. Ah, you never know. <laughs> um, but like maybe he's like, oh, they picked me. Maybe the Democratic Party is going to change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and there were theories like within the Humphrey campaign that he was actually like privately helping Nixon and, like, feeding him information. <laughs> oh, oh, good. Yeah. Um, he's, like, an incredibly important Treasury Secretary, though. Kissinger once said he was the only member of Nixon's cabinet that Nixon didn't, like, talk shit on behind their back. <laughs> All right, that's our Democrats. I I think most of these are better than Muskie, I will say. Yeah, I think, yeah, I would agree. I really tried to look for an Illinois person, but I, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I think, in summation, I think Humphrey needed a governor, and he did not choose one. Yeah, I think he just needed someone not from Maine. Like I don't know, he 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 needed a uh, why governor? Why why governor in particular? Well, 
almost all of our picks are governors, first of all. True. <laughs> but it's like, because Humphrey's a federal guy. He's a VP. He's a sitting mm. VP. He needs, like, a state person who's not tainted by the war, who didn't, like, vote for it in some capacity. And I, I feel like a governor gives you, like, some regional out-of-Washington distance. Yeah, that's fair. And they can kind of... They're they're more of a boots-on-the-ground guy. Right. Not on their ivory towers in Washington, connect with the everyday voter. I, I buy it. I buy it. Yeah. I'll note Humphrey considered a bunch of people. Um, he actually asked Nelson Rockefeller. Rockefeller said no. Um, he asked John Connolly... I guess also he considered, or he considered John, John Connolly. Connolly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Cyrus Vance, Sergeant Shriver, Fred Harris, Walter Mondale, Larry O'Brien. Um, he asked Ted Kennedy in your Ted Kennedy mm. Kennedy thing. Uh, Kennedy also turned it down. Yeah, that's why I didn't include Kennedy or Fred. I also had yeah. Fred Harris, and then I, was, I read about it. I was like, oh, yeah, never mind. I that's good. I deliberately mm. didn't choose people. This came out more on the Republican side, who like said no. Yeah, yeah. Um, shall we move to the Republican side? Let's do it. You go first, Mike. All right. So I have a controversial choice. I chose Governor Ronald Reagan of the great state of California. Like Agnew was only elected the year prior to the office. But I think, so this is a, a thing where it's like, you know, Reagan wins in a state Nixon couldn't win by a, a pretty, pretty decent margin if, if my memory serves. You know, he's a very, he has, he, he runs promising to, quote, clean up the mess in Berkeley. Um, oh, boy. <laughs> he, he he rose to popularity by just talking on TV about how much he loved Barry Coldwater, right? He's super charismatic. He's, you know, this is the early stage of the great communicator. Uh, and, you know, he's 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 just kind of like the, the Hollywood cowboy people need to bring the country back. Um, I also think strategically this is a good pick for Nixon because... Well, I think his rhetoric kind of, like, could attract some Wallace voters. I think he's, like, that uh, that conservative. Not a segregationist, of course, but I think, you know, his, his commitment to law and order and sort of, like, anti-anti-war activism, I guess. But I also think it kind of, like, neutralizes a potential enemy for Nixon, right? Reagan's sort of the fresh, young, rising star who's threatening Nixon's hold on the party. And I think, you know, you kind of cut a deal. You, you, you do a little uh, Tony Blair, Gordon Brown deal. Um, you can be my VP. It sets you up to run for president later on. It also sets up a crazy alternate history scenario that I don't know if I want to get into now, but I can. I mean, might as well. Okay. <laughs> so let's say that Nixon picks Reagan as his running mate. And let's say that they win, right? So that means there's no corruption case into Reagan, right? So he doesn't resign like Agnew, which means Ford never becomes vice president. Which means when Nixon resigns because of Watergate, Reagan becomes president. We assume... But then Reagan probably loses. Exactly, yeah. right? So so you're one step ahead of me, right? So that means Reagan probably loses re-election to Jimmy Carter, which means Carter probably loses re-election to George H.W. Bush, who would be next in line. Think about it. There's no Reagan to run in the AD election. So who runs? It's, it's Bush, the rising star of the Republican Party at this point. He's not blocked by Reagan, right? So That's George H.W. Bush is elected president in 1980. Now, who was elected in 1978 to the House for the first time? Uh, who, Mike? Dick Cheney. Oh, Since he's so my. green, H.W. probably doesn't pick Dick Cheney to be his defense secretary, right? Okay. Right. Okay. Um, so even whoever Bush's VP ends up being, it could be Dan Quayle for all we know. But by then, he'd only served one term by 1980 as well. You know, maybe he picks Bob Dole or something like that. You know, but let, let's say that, so let's say Bush basically serves Reagan's time in office, right? He wins in 80, he wins in 84. His vice president runs in 88 maybe it's bob dole or something like that they lose to clinton 
and then W becomes president. But since Cheney was never HW's VP, or defense secretary, rather, W probably doesn't pick Cheney as his VP. Which means means I may have just found a way to prevent the Iraq War from ever happening. This sounds <laughs> this sounds great. Um, like I'm all on board for a situation where Reagan like is only temporarily president, and H W becomes like the standard bearer of the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. That sounds good. That's a lot. That's yeah. a lot. A lot would change. Yes. It would have been very different. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you think Reagan would have said yes? I don't know. Part of me thinks that, like, he was kind of in a... You know, he, he wanted to be the guy. Yeah. But I also think that he was such a little ladder climber back in the day, I don't think he would say no. Like, why turn that down? Because he was governor of the biggest state in the Union. Yeah, but why not just fast-track yourself to governor of the most powerful country in the world? Go- governor, governor of the, the Governor country. of the United States. Um, you know, second in command. I like that. I don't know. Yeah. That's... that's so I... Like, Reagan seemed obvious, but I did not pick him just because I think he was too green. And I think that was stupid. I think, like, picking <laughs> Agnew is stupid. Yeah. Agnew's only been a governor. Like, Maryland is granted, like, a much smaller state. Mm. Um, it's like picking, like, a two year governor. Or, like, one. Like, Nixon. Agnew was, like, governor for, like, one year at the time. And Nixon was like, oh, yeah, you. You're going to be VP. The other reason was Nixon's already got California ties. Mm-hmm. Like, he's not technically registered there for this election, but he will be for the next one. Mm hmm. Though in your alternate universe, I guess he stays a New York <laughs> citizen. Or he makes Reagan move back to Illinois or whatever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But like, I, I don't know. I don't really know how much Nixon gains by doubling down. But I do think a California pick is a good one. And Nixon actually really wanted Robert Finch, who was Reagan's lieutenant, lieutenant general. Lieutenant, lieutenant governor. governor. <laughs> Um, and he declined, mm. which is interesting. It's like picking a lieutenant um, governor of a state for VP. Like I don't like I, who would do that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And Robert Finch actually won more votes than Reagan in that election. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. <laughs> like they, oh, you voted for them separately. Yeah, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So hot pick. Who's yours? Okay, so I went with Gerald Ford. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like he had to be in there somewhere. Because he was considered in 1960 by Nixon, when Nixon was the candidate in 1960. He was a Republican minority leader during um, the Johnson administration, so he's kind of like the most prominent like minority leader in the House, obviously. Mm-hmm. His home state, uh, Michigan, did pretty like significantly go for Humphrey, but I think Ford brings like cre- credibility and like stability, and he's like kind of like Agnew. Maybe is not boring enough, and mm-hmm. obviously has like all this drama, um, and I think that's why Nixon chooses. Ford in as his like temp VP mm. um, once Agnew was forced to resign. Mm. This is also complicated because like if Ford's there the entire time, then does Ford become tarnished by Watergate? Though he kind of already is at that yeah. point. Uh, but either way, I think in 1968 this makes sense. It's like Nixon's kind of like he's definitely got a federal like background, but he's special. Like mm. he's like he was VP, tried to be governor, that didn't work. He's definitely kind of an outsider. He's always viewed himself as a Washington outsider, but Ford is very, like... He's kind of a Dick Cheney pick. Mm. Or, like, a Bob Dole pick. Okay. Interesting. So, I... Spoiler alert, but I had Ford as my number three. Um, I actually thought of him as a Paul Ryan pick. Because Mm. he was on the front lines in the GOP's fight against, like, Johnson and the Great Society. Mm. Like, that was his big hobby horse, was being against all those social programs. He's, like, relatively young. He's the House Minority Leader. He's kind of... 
to be redundant. He's the leader of the, the like, he's... Right. It, you, you, name, you name a Republican congressman, you're going to name Gerald Ford, right? Isn't he, like, too boring to be a Paul Ryan pick, though? But Paul Ryan is, like, kind of boring, too. Like, but that workout plan. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. Bro, Gerald Ford was a star quarterback at the That's university. True. Not yeah, quarterback, yeah. he was an offensive lineman. At the University of Michigan, he's a football That's star. That's true. You know? Um, he likes movies. <laughs> I, yeah, I, that's true. You know, he's got young kids. Uh, he's, I don't know. I, I, I see him as like the Paul Ryan. Yeah. All right. Well, we both picked him. Uh, so my number four, I went with a man uh, who was the governor of Massachusetts and who would actually be added to Nixon's cabinet as Secretary of Transportation, uh, John Volpe. Chose him because he's, you know, kind of like a little Rockefeller-esque. He was actually was considered by Nixon, and I, I feel like, you know, if you have Nixon as kind of like the scary conservative, Volpe kind of puts the Rockefeller wing at ease. Um, it's kind of a unity ticket in that regard. And, um, you know, maybe, you know, he, he was pretty liberal on birth control and desegregation. So maybe that, maybe that even pulls away some sort of like, you know, on the fence Humphrey voters, right? Or you, you could kind of, again, Nixon kind of like blots out this strategy, but you can say like, well, Look at the Democrats. They say want all, they want all this great stuff, but look at what Daley did in Chicago. Um, look at look at your friends getting beaten outside of the arena. Look at me. I'm a guy. Look at the things I've done in Massachusetts. Look at how well I've done on desegregation and you know birth control or whatever. Um, you know, I'll 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 help ease sort of like the Nixonianism of it all. Yeah, I think this is kind of the opposite of Reagan. It's like Reagan's appealing to that wing, but this mm. is more moderate version yeah i guess of the republican party like Wu's kind of the rockefeller side like you said it's kind of he kind of reminds me of not because it's obvious but like sort of charlie baker the current mm. governor yeah, like, yeah, republican yeah. governor of massachusetts but and massachusetts in 1968 went for humphrey by 30 percent yeah so it was not a close state no, no no but it kind of like plays to this like oh the republicans are also we're not nixon's not just mm. california you know crazy guy he also is, like, rich Wall Street guy. Mm. Yeah, I think mean, it's, like, a safe pick. For my number four, I went with uh, Hugh Scott, uh, senator from Pennsylvania. It went uh, for Humphrey by about 3.6%, like we said, um, and it had 29 electoral votes. So here's a Pennsylvania guy, Mike. Strong civil rights advocate. He would become the Republican leader in the Senate that next Congress. He's, like, a big Rockefeller fan, um, but he ended up being, like, very critical of the Nixon administration later. He was, like, one of the key senators that told Nixon to resign once he had lost support in Congress or during the Watergate investigation. But, like, maybe, maybe, if you have Hugh Scott as VP, does Nixon, like, be more accountable? Mm. I don't think so. But mm. that's my alternate history. Yeah. like, this guy, like, he was, like, a Republican in the Senate who was, like, very, um, who, like, would frequently publicly, like, condemn the administration for being, like, unaccountable um, and, like, contemptuous of its own party and Pennsylvania. Yeah. Just <laughs> a side note, the guy he beat, uh, the incumbent governor of Pennsylvania he beat to become governor of... Or, no, 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 when he was running for the Senate, rather, was his name was George M. Leader. So Pennsylvania had a governor leader, which feels redundant. But, um, yeah, Hugh Scott's photo, by the way, very cool on Wikipedia. He looks like someone, and I do not know who it is. It's he looks so kind of like Walt Disney. He's got, like, a pipe and a mustache. Very cool. I feel like it's so hard to be stylish nowadays. Anyway, um, yeah, I actually do like this pick a lot the more I'm reading about him. I feel like he's kind of like an Eisenhower holdover, right? 
he he he's everything right with the Eisenhower administration. Um, he was like a big. I mean, this granted, this wasn't Eisenhower, but it was World War Two. He was like a big supporter of like lend lease. He was like a staunch anti isolationist. Like he and Robert Taft would go at it. Um, he was chairman of Eisenhower's campaign in '52, actually. So yeah, I, I, I think you know he represents the good the, the good old days of American foreign policy when it wasn't a dumpster fire. And like you said, he's in, in a big swing state. So yeah, I actually think that's quite a good pick. Thanks, Mike. Yeah. You had Gerald Ford. For I had Gerald Ford for three, yeah. So you. All right. Um, for my number three, I had Claude Kirk. Uh, he's governor of Florida. Uh, he was elected in 1966, so he's also kind of green. But it was a huge upset um, for the Republicans here. First Republican governor of Florida since Reconstruction. Yes. Um, he used to be a Democrat, too, which I think is, like, fun. It's like, here's a Democrat that has now switched to the, the Republican. I feel like that... I feel like we hear about that dynamic like a lot. She's running, <laughs> but like she used to be a Democrat, yeah. and now oh look how far like look how bad they are now. Why Lincoln um, Chafee should be the VP pick for the Democrats? <laughs> <Right. laughs> this is kind of what I think Nixon wanted Agnew to be. Is like he appeals to the South, conservative. He's like anti-busing. He's pro-death penalty. He even once made a campaign stop to a Florida state prison, and after shaking hands with several death row inmates, said, "If I'm elected, I may have to sign your death warrants to their face." So that's nice. Um, but it's like, I feel like that's very, like, dark Nixon. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I feel like the later in life, or the later into his presidency he would become, the more mm-hmm. Nixon would be like this. Yeah. But this would have been, like, a sensational, like, he got a lot of attention. This was a huge upset. He's kind of a dark horse, but it's kind of like Sarah Palin. Like, this is, like, the closest thing I can find for, like, a Sarah Palin pick for Nixon. Yeah, I think, like, Nixon could have, like, maybe knocked out Wallace with this pick. Interesting. There you go. Yeah, my one thing, and again, like, this is another thing where it's like, I don't know, I don't know how people on either side of the aisle really thought about desegregation and civil rights, but he was, he was kind of a desegregationist, was not, not, not super into that, so, I don't know, again, like, I find it hard, like, a hard sell for Nixon or really any candidate to pick, unless you're Wallace, of course, to pick someone who, like, has an actual track record of voting against civil rights. My thing with sort of like the crime and punishment approach is that you can at least say that you're trying to solve a problem. Hmm. And the problem is that there's too much crime and there needs to be more punishment. You know, you're trying to get the house back in order. I don't know that you can necessarily roll out a guy and be like, we're going to roll back. And not that they they would actually say that during the campaign, but I don't think you can really send that message where it's like, we're going to roll back civil rights or voting rights. That's fair. Cool. On to our number twos. Uh, I picked Jim Rhodes, who was the governor of Ohio. Fun fact about Jim Rhodes, um, he is one of seven governors in the United States who served four four-year terms as governor. Um, yes. Uh, the others being Edwin Edwards, George Wallace himself, uh, Jim Hunt, Bill Janklow, Jerry Brown, and Terry Barnes Branstad. Pick Jim Rhodes because he shores up Ohio, or he could help shore up Ohio. He was a favorite son in the primary uh, for Nixon, um, and a popular swing state, obviously. Um, you know, maybe the Kent State shooting doesn't happen. We're going all in history. Maybe the Kent State shooting doesn't happen if he's governor because he never sends the National Guard to the, to the campus. He is that guy, so this is more like later in his career in the 70s. Um, his big thing was sort of cracking down on campus protests. But, you know, he, he ran on, like, jobs in progress, um, passed the gas tax. I just think he's sort of, like, you know, middle of the country, um, kind of kind of a good old boy. He, he's, he's 
not as like again like it's hard to say because we weren't alive to know these people's public personas but just looking at him he looks more of like a normal dude <laughs> and he's he's not the aloof sort of like stiff nixon currently done that's fair mm-hmm. i went with charles percy fresh new senator from illinois um joined the senate in 67 so he's elected in 66 um but like he was even thought of as a uh, potential presidential candidate for the democrats in 68 like he's kind of obama-esque he's like very legislatively focused on like low-income housing like a Republican coming out of the Illinois Democratic machine, I think kind of looks good. The New York Times called him the hottest political article in the Republican Party. Even President Johnson privately remarked that he would make a great president. But he's got a moderate uh, reputation. I think this balances against Nixon well. Illinois was also the tipping point state for Nixon. It, it had a, It's the state that put Nixon like over the finish line um, electorally. Um, and it only went for him by under 3%. So I, I think he's green, but I think he's like... It's like if Hillary had put Obama as her VP in 2008. Mm-hmm. And Hillary had won the nomination. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I get that. I do think my, like, I thought about him too, but I do think I hesitated because he, he was so new. But, yeah, I, I, I do like the idea of Nixon just, like, being like, I'm not going to let the Kennedy steal Illinois from me again. And just, like, really going hard for it and, and choosing yeah. an Illinois politician for that. But yeah, I don't have a ton to say to this. You know, he, he was always, he was not super warm to Goldwater, which I think is kind of an asset in this election. Yeah, he also ran for governor. So his, his name had been out there, right? Yeah. Um, he's, he's like a known quantity, at least in some parts of the country. He, 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 he talked, and this is, again, this was in 1970, but he talked about how much he enjoyed the autobiography of Malcolm X. He said every white person should read it. Hmm. So definitely a more liberal choice, but maybe that, you know, maybe that pulls some uh, on the fence voters away from Humphrey. All right, number one pick, Mike. All right. I chose a man whose family, I guess, has a city named after him, William Scranton, the governor of Pennsylvania. So Scranton actually ran against Goldwater in the 64 primary as like a liberal alternative, but he was also briefly considered by Goldwater's running mate to help balance up the ticket. Pennsylvania only allowed governors one term at a time, kind of like Virginia does it now. And this could kind of seem like the logical next step for Scranton. You know, he was a congressman for actually only one term. Your governor, well, so you have to go if after that. Well, why not be? Why not be vice president? Um, he was. He would eventually serve as Ford's uh, ambassador to the United Nations for like a mm-hmm. year. You know, he, he's a World War II veteran. He did run for governor in '62, but uh, did not win. Oh, no, what am I talking about? Of course he won. He was governor. I was a new senator for a second. Yeah, William Scran uh, get, get, gets him that, that a swing state, possibly. A stabilizing force on the ticket. I mean, locking down Pennsylvania. Or, like, stealing Pennsylvania. Like, if you steal Pennsylvania from Humphrey, it's over. Mm-hmm. Right. What's, I mean, what's so weird is Humphrey won Maryland. Like, Spiro Agnew didn't do, like, anything. Like, I, <laughs> I, I guess it was, like, close, but it's like, I just, Agnew's, like, a weird pick. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, my number one was John Tower. Um, senator from Texas kind of went from being very conservative to like fairly moderate. Texas went for Humphrey uh, by a very narrow margin, just over 1%, obviously a very big state. He kind of has the benefits of Rockefeller in a much slimmer margin state. Also, Rockefeller's in the same state as Nixon at this time. Yeah. So that's why I didn't put Rockefeller, Hmm. um, though Nixon considered him. Texas is a very, like, it's just another state where it's like just like 1% more. And, like, Humphrey has no chance of winning this election, which is kind of every state. I mean, it's kind of the case with everything except California. But I think Nixon, like, could have doubled down on that. 
I mean, not that this worked, obviously, but it's like sort of what Hillary did. It's like I she ostensibly knew that she was going to win. Oops. So she like doubled down on like I just need this one fairly moderate sized state. I'm gonna put Tim Kaine on the ticket just in case, and like that worked in that case. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like yeah, 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 Virginia was like, oh, it, it's over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I get that. Again, my concern. I mean, he was kind of a man of multitudes. Um, he did vote for to confirm Thurgood Marshall to the Supreme Court, but he also voted against the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act. And again, I don't know how the general public would think of him in that regard. Maybe it's just another vote to them in 1968. I do think that goes against you. I, I just I just don't know how you can justify sort of like trying to still be the party of Lincoln and then putting John Tower as your vice president. Yeah, I think it's his more like moderate transition over time. Yeah. That yeah. helps. Which fascinating guy to read about him. Like yeah. he um, was not a fan of Reagan. Actually, he kind of hated Reagan. Yeah. Um, he he like liked Ford a yeah, lot. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think Nixon picks were easier. Mm. I, I, yeah, no, I would agree. In general. Yeah. Oh, we only had five governors for Nixon, or we only picked five five governors for Nixon, though. I, I just like I feel like Nixon could have. There wasn't like a wrong spot. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. He could have probably picked from anywhere. Mm-hmm. Nixon did consider Ronald Reagan. He considered George Romney. Um, considered Robert Finch, like we said, and Nelson Rockefeller. Mm-hmm. All right. Getting toward the end there. Are there any like weird names that might also have been fun or quirky, Mike? I think we have some. You want to go first? Sure. Uh, Stephen Young, senator from Ohio, is just hitting the Ohio thing. Mm. There, Harrison Williams, senator from New Jersey. There, he was convicted for bribes in the eighties, but you know, whatever. <laughs> um, Robert Finch, we talked about, but like that would have been like kind of a good choice. Mm-hmm. I like uh, you, we already talked about Reagan, but that was yeah. in mind. I had Edward Brooke, who was senator from Massachusetts, the first black senator elected from Massachusetts. He was like sort of like extremely moderate. He came out hard against both segregationists and the Black Panthers. He was kind of like a thorn in Nixon's side throughout the Nixon administration. And But he was actually offered like a UN ambassadorship. So Nixon kind of viewed him as an important ally at least. And he was actually rumored to be considered as a replacement for Agnew in 72. I just think it's a fascinating scenario, right? Because you have a world where like segregationists like Lester Maddox are still members of the Democratic Party. And you have the Republicans who are kind of like perceived as the conservative party still what what but what is nominating the first black candidate to ever be on a major party ticket in american history do Hmm. like how does that change the calculus does that do do people like buy it do they think this is sincere do they think it's clearly like a gimmick or not clearly a gimmick but do they think it's a gimmick um how, how does the world react how does that further stir the pot does does the southern strategy still work like what right. happens just like a crazy wrench to throw on the machine yeah it's like kind of do the republicans sort of give up the south for a little bit too like does wallace become like a th- institution for a few right, elections right um nelson's brother winthrop rockefeller yes <laughs> i put him down i think mm-hmm. he like led a Republican ticket to like unprecedented success in Arkansas because mm-hmm. like in the whole post Reconstruction thing, they weren't that good. And he was also like pretty progressive when it came to desegregation. But he also was kind of like controversial. He wasn't like that popular, and he he would have been kind of too green at that point as well. He yeah. was elected in '66 again, so were Reagan and Agnew. I put down John Connolly, but as a Republican, yeah, because I, I just think Nixon would have loved to take that like Kennedy thing because mm-hmm. he just hated Kennedy so much. <laughs> It's like if you steal the guy who like was with Kennedy and make him for you, like it just like Nixon definitely gets off on that, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and he like would be in the cabinet, and Nixon apparently liked him, and obviously was very important in getting Nixon reelected. Mm. 
you know, could be. Yeah. All right, let's cap it off here. You know, if you if you could change if you could change the running mate for the two, would you? Um, I, I definitely would for Humphrey. I, I think he really need to balance out his ticket. He couldn't pick anyone too pro war or like and certainly couldn't pick a segregationist. But again, someone like Connolly, who kind of like is reassuring to sort of like older Democrats, or at the very least pick somewhere someone from somewhere with more votes than me. I think is just the biggest part. Yeah, I, I agree. I think Humphrey just could have made almost... Like, he could have gone with almost anyone mm-hmm. from any other state, and mm-hmm. it would have been a better pick by default. It's yeah. like, I don't see what he gains at all by choosing Muskie. Mm-hmm. I, I think the choice of, like, the dark horse with limited experience in Agnew is kind of a turning point. Like, I, I just feel like that doesn't go well. Mm-hmm. It's like, from here on out, I feel like politicians will start picking, like, way older running mates. Yeah. Like, you get kind of a, like, Dick Cheney, Joe Biden, Tim Kaine sort of person as opposed to a... Sarah Palin, like Sarah Palin's kind of the only one I can think of that's like, I mean, Dan, notably like Dan Quayle was kind of young. Yeah, that's true. I I I think I think Nixon should not have chosen Agnew. <laughs> I mean, I I wouldn't have picked him, but I also don't think it hurt him. I mean, he won anyway, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, why second guess? Yeah, I I just think like why like mm. there's so many bigger and better states, and it's like I, I Agnew was clearly. A problem. He mm. was <laughs> he was bad. He had to resign. Yeah, it's crazy. The vice president had to resign, and then Nixon had to resign. Mm. Like there's a way that if you just make one little choice, and everything's different. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. So you wouldn't change Agnew? I mean, I wouldn't. I, it's 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 hard, right? Because like obviously he won with Agnew. So on on the one hand, why change? But I think if Humphrey chooses. Someone who's better than Muskie, I would tell him to pick someone else other than Agnew. Yeah. I don't think he had a ton to lose with his VP pick. I think to sum it up is I actually think the VPs mattered very little here. It's like <laughs> they could have maybe made a difference, mm-hmm. but I think this election was pretty much like locked in. Yeah. Yeah. I think there was like so much going on yeah. that VPs, I think, were the last of people's concerns. Right. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Cool. Well, that's our show. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm. You can catch us on all the places. Yes. Uh, follow us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. You can visit us at thepostwriter.com where we write things. And you can also listen to our other podcast, The Real Life Oscar Challenge, which we do with my sister Kathleen. Also, uh, my sister Kathleen and I's podcast, A Thing Like That, which is a podcast about Mad Men. And I'm Mike Levito. You can find me on Letterboxd at Amerimike and on Twitter at mlevito. I'm Lars Emerson. I guess you can find me on Letterboxd, too, at Lars yeah, Emerson. This is it's not, not really relevant. No, it's not. But <laughs> if you, you like movies. If you want to connect, I mean, that's where you're going to connect. Follow the post writer on Twitter. There you go. Yes. Um, all right. And we'll see you next time for 1972. Yeah. Let's see if you can turn the tide from a government. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, it's going to happen. <laughs>